Good morning, everyone. I am excited uh, to help us close out this series uh, on fear. And I wanted to start out with a story of one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. It uh, took place when I was around 10 years old. I was on vacation with my family. We were in Colorado and uh, we were all staying in this condo together. And I drew the short straw and was sleeping on the hide bed out in the living room. Raise your hand if you've ever drawn the short straw. Uh, so uh, in the middle of one night, around two in the morning, I, I heard a sound in the kitchen and I thought someone had just come for a drink of water or something, so I sleepily whispered, who is it? No response. So a little louder this time, I, I called out again, who is it? Still no response. So at this time, I started to get a, a little bit nervous about whoever was in the kitchen and was refusing to answer me. So I, I sat up to try to see what was going on. And when I, when I looked up in the dark, I promise you I'm not exaggerating, I saw the silhouette of the largest man I'd ever seen in my entire life standing right by my bed. And I screamed out, who is it? And as my scream reverberated through the condo, all the lights came on and my entire family rushed in, my parents, my grandmother, my grandmother's friend who was there with us, by the way, uh, and they all found me shouting at a lamp. <laughs> now, in my defense, it was a really big lamp. I mean, the base was huge and round and there was this big lampshade. Uh, and in the dark, without my glasses on, I was 100% certain it was a professional wrestler there to literally break me in half. Now, laugh all you want, but I bet you've been there too. Now, maybe your vision isn't as bad as mine, and maybe you've never been afraid of a lamp. But I bet there's been a time in your life when you were afraid of something because you couldn't see it clearly. Maybe it wasn't that you couldn't physically see it clearly. Maybe it was you were facing a situation or a circumstance that you couldn't see clearly, where you didn't know what was going to happen next, where you felt out of control. Maybe, students, it was a time when you started uh, a new school or went to a middle school for the first time. Maybe, uh, adults, a time that you went to a new job. Maybe it was a time when you went to the doctor and the doctor said your test results didn't look quite right. Maybe when one of your kids or one of your siblings started making bad decisions and you didn't know where it was going to lead. It's human nature to be afraid when we can't see, right? When we don't know what's going to happen next. It, it's really a self-defense mechanism to, to protect ourselves. When our brain encounters something that we can't see clearly, then our, its default setting is to be cautious at first to make sure that there are no threats. It's why your pulse quickens when you're walking down a dark alley at night, right? There may be a threat lurking there that you can't see. And in general, I would say this fear response is a pretty good thing. It has a way of keeping us out of some dangerous places most of the time. But the problem is there are just so many things that we can't see clearly, right? There's so much out there in the world that could be a threat to us. And so it's awfully easy to spend your life shouting at lamps, Wasting your time being uh, afraid by, by being ruled by fear when there's really no threat out there. I love what Thomas Jefferson said uh, in a letter to John Adams. He said, how much pain have cost us the evils which have never happened? Isn't that powerful? How, how much pain have we experienced due to the bad stuff that never even ended up happening? In other words, there's, there's a cost to all this shouting at lamps, isn't there? And I wish I only knew this because I'd read about it. But I know this. I know this from experience. I've spent so much time in my life 
worrying about things that never ended up happening. Maybe you've been there too. Now there's a problem, right? Even if you recognize this, it's really hard to do something about it because that fear response, boy, it runs deep, doesn't it? It's ingrained so deeply in us. But there is good news. In today's passage, we're going to see an example of some guys who started out fearful but ended up confident and joyful. And we're going to discover what the secret is that allowed them to live not in fear but in faith. This morning's passage comes from Luke chapter 2, and it's probably one that you've heard before. It takes place right after Mary gave birth to Jesus, and I'm going to read beginning at verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, so I said we're going to meet some guys who experienced a miraculous turnaround in this passage that changed the whole way they viewed the world. And we're talking, of course, about the shepherds. Uh, what, what, what we're going to see is that the thing that flipped the switch for them is the same thing that can allow you and me to live lives not char- characterized by fear, but instead characterized by faith and confidence. At the beginning of the passage, the shepherds are out in the fields watching their flocks. And if I could describe their worldview at the beginning of the passage, I think I would say this. Living in the dark, the world is a dangerous place. Living in the dark, the world is a dangerous place. It's filled with all kinds of threats that we need to protect ourselves from, right? And the shepherds knew this as well as anyone. I mean, they were out watching their flocks, and there were people who wished harm on the sheep and the shepherds, right? There would be wild animals that would come along. There would be thieves that would want to come and take the shepherd's uh, flock. And, and so the shepherds knew that the world was a dangerous place. Now, you know, when we, when we think about the shepherds uh, in the nativity story, sometimes we think about the, the kids in bathrobes, you know, in the, in the play, or maybe the, this little guy, we have a picture here. Um, you recognize this guy, the precious moments shepherd. We have a whole nativity scene of these guys uh, at, at our house. Sometimes I think we think of shepherds this way, and, and it's this little guy, and he's snuggled up in a big bed in a log cabin, and his little sheep is out back in the pen. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. These were not precious moments, shepherds, friends. These were tough guys. They spent their whole life outside, right? I mean, fighting off literally wild animals, sleeping on the ground, walking all over the place. These were, these were strong, brave guys, but even they recognized that the world was a dangerous place. Now, most of the time, they were strong enough and smart enough to overcome whatever the danger was, whatever the threat was that was facing them. But on this night, on this night, they ran up against something that shook them to their very core. 
Look what happened in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. These tough guys, these rough-and-tumble shepherds were overcome with fear. And really, you can't blame them, right? I mean, they're, they're out in the fields at night. It's dark. There are no streetlights around. And all of a sudden, uh, an angel appears out of thin air. And not just any angel. The text says, an angel of the Lord. And remember, Larry told us a couple of weeks ago that when you see that phrase, angel of the Lord, it means it's a high-ranking angel. It's, it's an angel that's speaking directly for the Lord. And not just the angel, but then it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I don't know what it's like to physically see the glory of the Lord, but I can only imagine, right? I mean, and when you consider the entire universe was created when God said, let there be light. Man, what must it be like to physically see the glory of the Lord? It must be an overwhelming experience, right? So the shepherds react the same way that I, I would react and probably you would react, with fear. The NIV says they were terrified. Uh, I really like the way the, the old King James puts it. Do you remember what the phrase is? They were sore afraid. I love that. So afraid it hurt. <laughs> they were terrified. So why were they afraid? Well, I, I think it's that natural fear response I was talking about just a minute ago. I mean, we know the world is a dangerous place. So when we have an experience where we can't see clearly or we encounter something new or we don't know what's going to happen, we're afraid. And the shepherds have never seen an angel before, right? I mean, we're reading the Bible, so we're not surprised because this is the kind of thing that happens in the Bible. But they live, you know, they just live their lives. They've never had an angel show up. And however confident they, they may have been that they could handle whatever predator or thief happened to come by, I just have to imagine that that confidence just evaporated in an instant when they saw the angel because they knew they were standing in the presence of someone so much stronger, so much more powerful than them. And in the presence of this angel and the dazzling light of God's glory, maybe they realized that they weren't quite as strong as they thought they were. They were afraid of what was going to happen next. Have you had that experience before? Maybe not seeing an angel physically, that tends to be the exception, not the rule. But have you ever had that experience where you realize that maybe you're not quite as strong as you think you are? When there's something that we just can't quite control we're not quite as big and tough as we hoped. Maybe it was when a relationship you thought was solid suddenly somehow crumbles right in front of you and you just feel powerless to fix it. Maybe when you unexpectedly lost your job and you wondered where the next uh, dollar was going to come from. Maybe when you started to struggle with an addiction or struggle with depression and you tried thing after thing after thing but you just couldn't fix it. When we, when we realize that we're not as strong as we think we are, when we're not in control, when, when we don't know what's going to happen next, the natural tendency of our hearts is to be fearful. And that's just what happened to the shepherds at the beginning. But thankfully, it's not the end of the story. Look what happens next in verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now, I just want to pause there and say, if I'm a shepherd, <laughs> my response is easy for you to say, Mr. Angel. You show up here looking like you're going to vaporize me and turn me into dust in the middle of the night and you tell me not to be afraid? You've got to be kidding. But the angel doesn't stop there, of course. He goes on. He tells them why they don't need to be afraid. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This right here, this verse, this is the, the turning point that's going to change everything for the, for the shepherds. This is what flips the switch for them and turns on the light that allows them to see the world differently. The turning point is the good news, or another word for good news is gospel. The turning point that flips the switch for them is the gospel. The angel says, look, I'm not here to vaporize you. I'm here to bring you good news, news that's so good it's going to bring great joy for all the people. I especially love that last part that he says, it's for all the people. This good news isn't just for a few people, friends. It's not just for the rich. It's not just for those who have it all together. It's not just for the intelligent. It's not just for the Republicans, not just for the Democrats. It's for all the people. And all the people means all the people. Rich, poor, black, white, short, tall, educated, uneducated, all the people. The angel says, what I'm going to tell you is good news for everybody. Everybody. And what's the news? A Savior has been born. He is the Messiah the Lord. Let's put verse 10 uh, up there. This, this verse is, is I'm, so, I'm sorry, verse 11. This verse is just so chock full of goodness. There's so much packed in here. We're going to zoom way in and spend a few minutes just on this verse right here, okay? In this verse, the angel uses three words. We've highlighted them here. Three words to describe who's going to be born. The first word he uses is Savior. And the Greek word that's, that's translated Savior here means one who rescues or one who delivers. It's the same word that the angel used in last week's passage. You remember the angel was talking to, to, to Joseph last week and he said, Mary's going to have a baby. And he said, you should give him the name Jesus. And the reason he gives is because he's going to save, same root word, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is going to be a savior, a deliverer, a rescuer. The second word that the angel uses to describe this baby is Messiah. And uh, you may remember growing up a different translation that says Christ. Those two words are equivalent. And, and remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's, it's a title. It means anointed one or chosen one. This means that the, the child that, that the, the angel is talking about is the one that the prophets have been prophesying about for centuries. He's the chosen one. So Savior, Messiah. The third word uh, that the angel uses is Lord. And the Greek word that's translated Lord here means master, supreme in authority, the sovereign one, the king, the Lord. So when you put it all together, what the angel is saying is the, the chosen one, the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, is here. And he's here to do two things. Number one, he's here to save you. Number two, he's here to be your Lord. He's here to be our Savior. He's here to be our Lord. And friends, that is the good news. That is the good news that brings great joy to all the people. Jesus has come to be our Savior and our Lord. Let's break that down for just uh, a minute. What does it mean that Jesus is our Savior? Well, if someone needs a Savior, it's because they're in some kind of trouble or danger, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't need saving. And the truth is, you and I were in serious, serious trouble. Because of our sin, we were headed down a one-way road, a dead-end road that leads to brokenness, emptiness, pain, and heartache, and ultimately, eternal death. But praise God, Jesus came to be our Savior. On the cross, he paid the price for our sins, and the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But check this out, Jesus doesn't just save us from the penalty of our sin, 
Jesus saves us from sin itself. Romans 6 says, you have been set free from sin. Praise God. In other words, we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. Jesus has saved us from our old lives of sin and brokenness, and he has given us a new kind of life. And that really brings us to the second reason Jesus came. First, he came to be our Savior. Second, to be our Lord. Because Jesus didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. He didn't just save us from something. He saved us to something. And that new something that he saved us for is a new kind of life where he is Lord. Where he is the King. He is the Master. Now, thinking about uh, someone being our Lord or King or Master tends to be a little problematic for us as Americans, doesn't it? Uh, We we, we like our freedom uh, a lot, and we don't like anyone telling us what to do. Sometimes I feel like uh, in our culture, we're like perpetual teenagers, just always bristling at authority a little bit. So at first, the fact that Jesus has come to be our Lord may sound like bad news. It might sound like we're losing our freedom, but friends... The fact that Jesus has come to be our king, our Lord, is the best possible news. Because Jesus is not like the evil kings that we are familiar with. You know the type, right? That's only concerned with maintaining their power. They're only concerned with their own needs. And they'll step on the little guys to get what they want. Jesus is the exact, exact opposite. He is a good king. He is the servant king. He is the one who sacrificed himself for our benefit. Jesus loves us. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows how you can live that full and abundant life that God has for you. A life of thriving, even in the most difficult of circumstances. A life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's good news, friends. Jesus has come to be our Lord. Who is the Messiah? He is our Savior, and he is our Lord. When we baptize people here at VRBC, we ask them, what is your profession of faith? In other words, what statement are you making by your baptism here today? And you remember what what they say? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You hear it? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is my Lord and Savior. Friends, this is the gospel. This is is the good news. Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, has come to save us, and he's come to be our Lord. Amen. Before we leave this first, I want to point out one other little cool thing. Seth, can you put that verse back up again one more time? Who, who is it that, uh, that the Savior is born to? Who does the angel say it's born to? To you. It's a little word, three letters, but don't miss it. I think this is so cool. The angel does not talk to the priests in the temple. He's not talking to the king in the palace. He's not talking to the rich guy in the mansion. He's talking to shepherds in the field, ordinary dudes, ordinary guys. And he says, today a savior has been born to you. And friends, I just want to tell you this morning, that word is not just for the shepherds. That word is for you and it's for me. Remember the angel said the good news was going to bring great joy to everyone, all the people. Friends, that means us. I really want you to hear that this morning because it's just so easy to to think that Jesus was born for somebody else or that Jesus was born for the world in general. But I want you to hear this message of the angel this morning. Today, a Savior has been born to you. It's good news, friends. 
A Savior has been born to you. Okay, so at the beginning, the shepherds were living in the dark where the world is a dangerous place, and then the angel flipped the switch and turned on the light of the gospel. And so, so now in that light, what's the new worldview? How do the shepherds see things? How do they see their world? Not as a dangerous place, but instead as a grand adventure. Living in the light, life is a grand adventure. The shepherds are no longer cowering in fear. Instead, they're rushing headlong into this grand and glorious adventure that Jesus has invited them to be a part of. Look at what the angels do, I mean the shepherds do after the angels leave. The first thing that the shepherds do once the angels are gone is they seek Jesus. They seek Jesus. Look at what verse 15 says. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. See, it wasn't enough for the shepherds to hear about Jesus from someone else. (laughs) They wanted to see for themselves. They seek Jesus. And by the way, I just want to say, if, if you're here today and you've heard about Jesus from someone else, but you haven't met him personally, let me just invite you this morning. Do what the shepherds did. Don't take someone else's word for it. Go to Bethlehem and see Jesus and discover for yourself how good, how loving, how forgiving, how merciful, how gracious, how kind, and how beautiful he is. The shepherds seek Jesus, and after they seek him, they share the news. They share the news. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. They tell everybody what they've seen, and and I love this. You notice there's no sense of guilt or obligation here. They're they're not sharing because someone told them to. They're sharing because what they experienced was so amazing, they just couldn't even keep it to themselves. It was like uh, Peter and John in Acts 4. Do you remember this story? The authorities tell them to, to stop talking about Jesus, and they say, look, we can't help speaking about the things that we've seen and heard. They're just speaking from the overflow of what's happening in their heart. So they seek Jesus, they share the news, and then thirdly, they worship God. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Again, notice there's no sense of obligation here. They're not worshiping because it's 9.30 on a Sunday morning and someone dragged them to church. They worshiped and glorified God out of what was happening inside of them because they were just so overwhelmed with how good God is, who he is, and all he's done, joyfully worshiping. They're not living in the dark anymore. They don't see the world as a dangerous place. Instead, they see the world as a grand adventure where they're constantly seeking Jesus, sharing the good news about him, and worshiping the Lord. Why? What made the difference? Because the gospel has turned on the light. The gospel has flipped the switch. And that's what the gospel does, friends. The gospel turns on the light. It's it's the good news that the angel shared with the shepherds that changed the way they saw everything else. And that's just what happens to us when we encounter the gospel as well. It turns on the light and it helps us to see things as they actually are. No longer do we see the shadows that are threatening, but we see clearly the light uh, that, that Jesus shines and we see the world as it was meant to be. We see it not as a dangerous place, but as a grand adventure that we get to be a part of with Jesus. So the very last uh, verse in the passage is so cool to me. At the end of the passage, the text says, the shepherds went back to their flocks. They returned. But you know, even though they went back to the same place and the same job, something was different, right? Their circumstances were the same, but they had changed. 
And the same thing happens to us. The gospel doesn't always change our circumstance, but it always changes us. It changes the way we see the world. It makes all the difference in how we view our circumstances. In the light of the gospel, we learn to see the challenges we face as opportunities to see God at work. In the light of the gospel, we learn to see our jobs not as something just to be endured for 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week, but we see it as a, as a place where we can serve others. In the light of the gospel, we learn to see money and possessions not as idols that we can never seem to get enough of, but instead as, as blessings that are meant to be enjoyed and shared. In the light of the gospel, we learn to see the Bible not as a rule book meant to constrain us, but instead as the living word of God that's meant to change us. In the light of the gospel, we learn to see God not as as an angry judge who can't wait to smite us, but as a loving father who can't wait to welcome us home. In the light of the gospel, we learn to see sickness and aging not as threats to our well-being, but as a joyful experience where we can actually see for ourselves that God's power is made perfect in weakness. In the light of the gospel, we learn to see the death of our friends and loved ones not as goodbye, but as see you again soon. And in the light of the gospel, we learn to see even our own deaths not as the end, but as a new beginning. Because the gospel changes everything. It turns on the light and helps us to see life as a grand adventure. In John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yes, there's still pain in our world. Yes, there is still sickness, there's still war, there is still death. But friends, they do not have the final word. It is not the last chapter. Jesus said it this way in John 16. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. David said it this way in Psalm 23. He said, even when I walk through the valley of the darkest shadow, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Paul said it this way in Romans 8. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, if you are in Christ, the world is not a dangerous place for you. If you are in Christ, you live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And ultimately, there is nothing that can harm you because Jesus has come and he is our savior and he is our Lord. I wanna end the sermon in the same place I began back in that condo in Colorado. You know, when I saw the lamp in the dark, I was afraid because I thought it was there to harm me. But when the light came on, I realized it wasn't there to harm me at all. It was actually there to light my way. All I had to do was reach out and flip the switch. Friends, I know there's so much about life that's scary. Believe me, I know. But we don't have to be afraid. The Lord Jesus is on the throne. For those who call Christ Lord, our sins are forgiven, our future is secured, and we know that God is working out all things, even the scary ones, for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So church, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. In the city of David, a Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope we find in this passage. And we thank you that you have come. You, the Messiah, the Chosen One, have come to be our Savior, to be our Lord, to save us 
from our sin, to save us from darkness, to set us free and to bring us into that new and abundant life where, where we don't have to be the king anymore because you are the Lord. God, I pray for each and every person here that the gospel would just pierce their minds, pierce their hearts with the light of Christ and it would change everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen.